Be Coastal at the Boatyard Restaurant, located at 1515 Southeast 17th Street Causeway in Fort Lauderdale. Here, you'll feel part of the yachting tradition of South Florida as you experience the Boatyard's hooked-table, seafood-eccentric menu with fresh catches listed by name of the fisherman who caught them. The Boatyard's open kitchen is also known for premium grilled cuts of meat and a menu that's sourced from local ingredients. Sit inside in modern nautical-themed rooms or dockside and watch the boats cruise by as you enjoy lunch, dinner, and Sunday brunch. Monday through Friday, the locals know that the Boatyard's happy hour is the best place to gather for bar bites and handcrafted cocktails at great prices. And don't miss out on Ladies' Night every Thursday. Call ahead to book your reservation today at 954-525-7400. Clear the airways. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is The Real Guy Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to The Real Guy Podcast. This is a podcast for real guys by real guys. Tonight, we have the world-famous three-time World Happy Bait winner, Tim O'Connor, in the house with us tonight. Thank you, Timmy, for being here. My pleasure, Captain Jeff. How are you? I'm fantastic, thanks. It's nice to have a real guy in the studio. You know what I mean? Like, we do a lot of these podcasts, and we get the people in here. And um, let's just say not everybody's, like, three-time Happy Bait World champ. Let's hope not. Well, they can't be. They can't be. (laughs) You know, speaking of Happy Bait, and speaking of being world champ... Um, one of the things I noticed every happy bait that goes on okay now of course Timmy works happy bait really hard and what I mean by that is we have the mullet migration that comes down from uh, or comes down the coast so it starts from the north and it heads to the south and we have these huge migrations of bait and we call this happy bait time some people call it the mullet run but Tim has been an expert at fishing the mullet run for years how many years have you fished the mullet run Timmy close to 40 now 40 years and um, what are you, 53 years old? 52. 52 years old. So you started when you were about 12. Yep. I'd imagine on a bicycle. Absolutely. Yeah, that was the way to roll back in the day. Yes, it was. You know, um, rolling around Fort Lauderdale on a, with a bicycle, a fishing rod, and a five-gallon bucket. Or two buckets. Or two buckets. And four rods, two nets. I mean, that's the way I always thought people would envision Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, that's how I envisioned Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, four in the morning. Four, right. I, I I don't think people. I don't think. Well, the kids just aren't out on their bikes and stuff anymore like they used to be. It's a different world. There weren't as many cars on the road. Not as just much stuff. I would n- never consider either of my twins riding down Las Olas Boulevard at five in the morning. And how old are the twins, Timmy? They're twelve. So you wouldn't let them roll down to the beach with the on their bicycle and their fishing rods to spend the day down there fishing. Not right now, no. No, my wife wouldn't either. Victoria's uh, um, going to be 14 next month. And the wife isn't even close to letting her roll down to the beach. No. goes fast, though. I don't know. I, 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 I think I, I, I wouldn't bother me if she got on the bicycle and went down there and spent the day. Yeah, I mean, she's a good girl. She knows what well, everything's about. Well, and today you got cell phones. I mean, heck, we, she can freaking text about every 35, 45 minutes. I know she's okay. Well, it would be good if she had a wingman. I mean, the stuff that we were doing. I mean, you know, I grew up a little further from the beach. Mm-hmm. So we were riding to the beach from Wilton Manors, or we would come to Las Olas to go fishing. So we had to get an earlier start. Everybody on a Saturday morning at 4 in the morning is just coming off of what they were doing. Right. So we got folks 
coming the other way down the road and not paying attention to a couple knuckleheads on bikes making their way, barely balancing things out, a couple buckets full of mullet and all that other stuff. You used to make some pretty serious cash on Fort Lauderdale Beach, 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. I would get my old man to drive the uh, the pickup truck down to the beach. And it'd be about 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. If you got there before the beach cleaners got there, the beach was littered with aluminum beer cans. Yep. And basically from February to the end of April, that was when the getting was good. So I'd get my old man to friggin' get the truck, and he would roll down A1A, and me and my two buddies would pick up beer cans and throw them in the back of the truck. If we filled up the back of the truck, we could make about 80 bucks. You cleaned up. Make about Literally. 80 bucks. We'd spend the money at the pier or fishing or whatever. But there was money to be made on Fort Lauderdale Beach at 4.30 in the morning in the old days. Either that or be a paper delivery boy. Dude, they won't even let you drink on the beach anymore. Never mind make money down there. They won't even let you spend money down there hardly. Yeah, they don't want you there. If you're a local, they don't want you on the beach anymore. They don't. But when you're doing happy bait, I noticed you down there. And you were like the only dude down there fishing a TLD. True or not true? I think that's true. I didn't look around too much, but uh, I don't think there's too many of us that are pitching baits out on those things. And what what vintage is that TLD that you're using during happy bait? Oh, this is just between you and me, right? Yeah, me, you, and about the other, you know, 10,000 people are going to probably hear this podcast. My TLDs are in excess of 15 years old, probably. Is that a strategy? It is. Explain. Uh, Number one, those reels are bulletproof. Those Shimano TLDs are great. Um, as long as you keep them maintained, uh, they stay together very, very well. Uh, they're smooth. Uh, it just, after fighting a lot of big fish on the beach, and like you, you know, we've gone through a lot of different reels. Started out way back in the day with uh, Penn Jig Masters with Newell conversion kits on them. Right. Um, those were good, but those were all star drag reels. My right. eyes were opened uh, when a couple of buddies, buddies of mine showed me some Shimano TLDs. And we went through some trial and error, which size worked best. And a TLD 15 holds a ton of line. Um, tried out different um, line sizes. So worked our way up from 20-pound test. Couldn't stop a fish with 20. Went up to 25. Still had trouble stopping fish. You know, they could just take you right to Bimini. Jumped up to 40, but that's tough to cast. And then all of a sudden, 30-pound test was the sweet spot on that TLD 15. It can hold a ton of it. Mm-hmm. And... That between that line capacity and the almost infinite drag settings you can have with a lever drag reel was the magic combination. All of a sudden, after using those reels, I could stop and catch fish that were north of 100, some some that are close to 200. Mm-hmm. And you think that you get like a major advantage over a big spinning rod? I do. I, I've I've tried big spinners, and you know before braid was prevalent, spinners just couldn't hold enough line. Right. Right, so you either had the choice of, you know, having an eight thousand or nine thousand sized spinning reel, and you had to throw twenty on it, just to have enough line capacity in case you got a big run. We can't stop anything with twenty, not from the beach. So if you jumped up to thirty, now you're stuck with like two hundred yards, hundred and fifty, hundred seventy-five yards of thirty. Right. Right. That you can stop a fish with that, but tough to cast. Can't get anything anywhere, so it, it was just it was just not the right combination. Now talking about casting, like a lot of people out there are like, man, okay, so this dude's using a TLD to fish um, the mullet run, and they're assuming that. Um, I would imagine most people are assuming that um, 
you can't really cast a rod like that. Most can't. Now, is that uh, is that because they can't because of the equipment, or they can't because they don't know how to? They're not they well practiced. They don't know how to. I mean, it's like just like you. You graduate up from your bantams and your presidents and your bay casters. It's a logical transition. You go up from the smaller reels, casting them, right? You cut your teeth, get your backlashes, working a an ambassador for a few years, and then you step up to these, you know. They're basically light trolling reels, right? Just with no bar across the top. They are. So if you can cast a, a Bantam, a President, without a lever wine, boom, there's a TLD 15. All right, so you totally eliminated about 95% of the fishermen out there. Bam. Now you wonder why I'm the only one rocking in that <laughs> thing off the beach. <laughs> no, because I, no, I think that, 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 that's, like a, that's like a real thing. People are using the big spin reel because... Um, the conventional reels are not an option for them because they can't really use it. They 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 can't cast it, which you know I think is uh, lazy. Well, it's lazy, but you know spinning reels are flexible, right? You can still take that big spinner and put a lure on it and do something else that you can't do with the TLD fifteen. But you and I both know when when the baits are around, you're pitching a big old mullet. I mean, I'm not throwing lures around in a school full of mullet, so right, that's so the right tool for the job. So in the in the rod you're using what seven foot? It's an eight plus foot. Uh, back in the day it was a star rod, and now I got a couple custom rods that um, have just enough background backbone to them, but enough length and enough whippiness at the top that you can rock it a bait out with it, right? So it's a very I'm very picky when it comes to the rods I'm I'm using on the beach for that. Um, again, a lot of trial and error. I still maintain that um, I can outcast anybody with a big spinner with my TLD. And that comes from, as you know, being on the beach or being on the piers, all those guys with newels and all those, you know, high performance conventionals, they're casting leads with, you know, snapper baits a country mile. So after using those reels for a while and just came to the conclusion that why can't I do it from the beach? Why can't I rocket a pound and a half mullet the same way? Thin is in, they say, but what's good about thin steak or a thin wallet or even thinning hair? The answer to these rhetorical questions is nothing. So why then is every brand of men's body wash weak and watered down? Any argument for using this crap to me is pretty thin. Enter Thick, a new product from Duke Cannon Supply Company. Thick earns its name by being three times thicker than the common body washes. It's the high viscosity alternative to watching your money go down the shower drain. Thick comes in a big ass container, like you can crack open a beer. And it comes with four distinctly masculine scents that won't leave you smelling like a teenage boy. Thin is out, thick is in. I tried the different ones. I absolutely love the fragrances. I love the way the uh, packaging looked. But I think the thing that impressed me most was the way it lathered up and actually felt like real, you know, real soap. Not that thin body wash. Also, when you pick that thing up, it's like 17 and a half ounces. It's like getting a small workout in. There's some major bonuses with thick. A 17-ounce bottle is $9, or you can get all four bottles for $30. You get free shipping with orders over $35, and there's a range of Duke Cannon men's premium products also available at all your local Target stores. Just remember, thin is out and thick is in. Visit DukeCannon.com and use the promo code OUTDOOR for 15% off your entire order. And I turn around, and after a while, after years of doing it, no one else is able to do it. No one else is able to get a bait out beyond me. 
And as you know, that's the key sometimes. Your bait has to be on the outside of the school. Bait has to be on the outside of the school. Very often that's where the, the bait just has to be in order in order to get a bite. Now, um, the fish that you're catching off the beach, those big tarpon, and um, we'll refer to the tarpon from the tarpon video. If you guys haven't seen the tarpon video, Timmy, um, I don't know, that fish is probably 170 pounds call it 150 every bit of 150 yeah bigger than 150 and um he hooks that that fish and he's all by himself on the beach and then i pull up and i realize that he's there and we start filming and then other people start realizing that uh, he's there and before you got by the time you got that fish to the shore i would say there was a uh, 250 people maybe on the beach watching i had no idea until i turned around <laughs> that, that all those people were watching that now that's a big fish that's 150 plus pound fish and at one point during that fight i would imagine he had what 200 yards of line out at least at least 200 he yards. was beyond the swim buoys i mean you know how it is all you can do is hold on let him do what he's going to do now you feeling like with the big um tld that you're getting a little bit more leverage than a guy with a um a spin rod as far as being able to put pressure on the fish and handling a fish that big from shore with that much line out? I think so. I think so, and I think it's easier on the line. You know, you're really using more of the backbone of the rod, right, as opposed to the line scraping over the guides. Okay. Think about it, yeah. right? So, and you're guiding the line back on over the reel. Again, everything just seems to work right from the beach with it. I've seen people catch some big tarpon on big spinners. I'm not saying it's impossible to do. But I'll, be, I'll tell you this much. You catch a 120-pound fish off the beach with mono mm -hmm. on a spinner, you're changing all that line when you get home. You, De definitely. You do that on a TLD, and you're right back at it the next morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, braids, braids um, diminished that argument a good bit. Like on the big um, spin rails that I'm using now, I put about 100 foot of braid, and then I'll put um, mono backing. And the reason I use the braid more so than anything is – so I don't have to re-spool all the time. I mean, you go years back before I started using the um, the braid that way. I mean, literally, I would re-spool my spin tackle once a week. I'll bet. Easy once well, a week. Well, you're catching a lot of fish, too. So that... Well, a lot of fish, a lot of trips. But um, with the braid and the spin tackle, I mean, it really is forgiving as far as being able to, you know, keep that 150 foot on and not having a re-spool and um well with the advent of top shots too right yeah what a great invention you just put a bunch of braid and a top shot of mono on the top that's what i put on my big spinners i don't mind changing out 100 yards of mono now in your tld you're not using any braid actually i've got some braid backing there just in case that once in a lifetime fish shows up but i'm not touching it I but mean, it's backing yep yeah so you're really not using it i haven't i mean i could name on one hand the number of times i've touched the braid coming off yeah so it's nice to know it's there but i'll probably go half and half but again with with the you know with the way a conventional works you don't need to swap out the line as often with mono yeah you know even when it gets stretched out it's it's pretty good and fine in casts yeah but most of the time you prefer to use the um the conventional even more on the boat i do and Again, the drag and leverage around the boat. It just love how those how the rods I have. It's the same rod that I use on the beach. It's got enough backbone, but yet enough, you know, 
sensitivity or enough flexibility up top that you can really control the fish when you're going down and dirty and putting side pressure on a fish when it's within 10 15 feet of the boat you'd be surprised it how you can sometimes stand that fish up on her head yeah which is that little bit extra and again that and when as you know when you've got clients on the boat um when when you put a spinning reel in their hands it's not as easy to make some drag adjustments right through the fight with a conventional and with the lever drag i can reach over and really not get in the client's way right. make a little adjustment just you know by gut you just you know hey i need a little bit more heat need a little less heat make that adjustment you're not in their way at all right huh well you know the last couple three years for whatever reason if we haven't been catching a whole lot of smaller fish a lot of the fish that my clients, like the smaller fish are around 65 to 70 pounds. Which is the biggest fish those clients will ever see in Right. Their but life. I mean, just a ton of fish, like, you know, 80, 90, 100 pounds right in there. Right on. Bring it yeah. on. So I went out and I uh, um, I talked to the guys from Penn and I had them give me that, that combo over there. Now that's the Penn Lethal with a, with a lever um, uh, drag. Okay. But it also has the lever wind on there. Yep. A little, little different than the one, little different than the one that you're using. And I was hoping that that reel right there, um, I'd be able to migrate into. And um, it hasn't been working out that great for me. <laughs> for you or for clients? Both. It's like that's like the most unlucky rod on the boat. Well, we need to fix that. I don't get it though. I mean, it's like it just seems like I'll have all three rods out. You know hours on end and very rarely do i get the strike on that particular rod now the old ugly stick that we fished out of the bottom of the creek freaking <laughs> the lucky combo right it's the oldest rod i got on the boat it's the flimsiest rod i have on the boat it's the most abused rod that i have on the boat but it gets all the strikes it's got plenty of juju on it what can i tell you oh, how do i get that in my freaking lever wind over there my my pen lethal Maybe you need to have a client get their fingers stuck in the level wind once or twice, and that'll uh, break it free while they're winding it. Well, <laughs> I don't know, dude. I just like I'm trying to um, use the conventional reels, but I must I must have to do something different. Maybe I have to get like a set of four. Okay. Therefore, I can't. Maybe that's just that one particular combo is unlucky. It's uh, well, you need to have both, as you know. Some clients are a little more adept at them than others. I mean, spinning reels are easy, right? Here's a good question for you, Timmy. What is up with the dude that uses a spin reel and has to reel with his right hand? What do you do? I mean, what's the deal? How come he can use the spin reel? Isn't he a lefty? Well, I don't, well that's what I don't get. Like, there's dudes out there that make me change the handle on the spin reel because they want to fish with the other hand. Those are the same guys that have to have a left-handed coffee cup, too. Yeah, but, dude, you can give them a conventional. And they can use it. And they can use it. But they can't use the spinner. I don't get it. I don't either. I'm a right-handed guy. I, you know, well, like my, I'm not going to cater to those people. Well, my, my spin reels... Yeah, all the handles are on the left, so I'll use it. It's on the left. And then I pick up my conventional, and the handle's on the right. doesn't bother me at all. It's all mental. Is it mental? It is. I don't know. It's not just mental, because if I'm fishing with the spin reel and the handle's on the other side, then I'm like a klutz. 
That's right, because it needs like, to be on the it needs to be on the correct side. Well, but if it's conventional, it doesn't. No, that's the way conventional needs to be. No, because you're just as screwed up as I am, and everybody else is. There's no rhyme to reason that that doesn't make any sense at all. Well, there's no switching handles on the conventional. That's it. That's all you got. It's like it's like Henry Ford. You can have any color model T you want as long as it's black. That's the only way it is. I swear to God, if I got one client, Ron Helm, that breaks the uh, that breaks the theory. But I swear to God, when, I, when, when clients get on the boat and the first thing they ask me to do is change the handle for them. You know you're in trouble. I swear it jinxes me. I swear it jinxes, it jinxes the trip, the whole the rest of the trip. So what do you do? There's not much I can do. Can they I, bite the head off a mullet or something? Can they do like deadliest catch? No, it's not like a way you can like, you know, make up for it. No. You just live with it. And then in the back of my head the whole time when fishing slow i'm thinking to myself some of the bitches maybe change the handle i think you can overcome it i i've got every confidence in you that you can make it happen the other thing that jinxes us during the trips is when we get a big strike right away or catch a fish right away is that hold true with you and your absolutely. trips absolutely right if you go out there and you put your baits out and bam you get action like the very first couple minutes that you're out there that's a kiss of death it's gonna be easy that's a kiss of death. That kills me every time. I have I have had the same experience that oftentimes when you get that first fish up right away, oh, this is going to be easy. Right? What well, going to be a great day. We're going to get 10 today. And then... Not so much. For whatever reason, it just doesn't hold true. I don't get that. Well, maybe, but it's maybe true. it's because of the left-handed people on the boat. <laughs> yeah, I just don't understand. I'm going to have to add that to my website. If you're left-handed, forget it. Should be an upcharge anyway. Or they have to demonstrate the ability to reel. Or they have light. to change their own handles. I don't think you want that. I don't know, dude. The guys that are into like having the handle on the wrong side of the rail are like really into it. It's not like they're not well practiced at doing it. It's dicey enough putting our equipment in their hands to begin <laughs> with. Now you want them to start doing some maintenance on the water. How many clients have broken your combos? More than a couple. More than a couple? Yes. What's the most common? The most common mistake that they make mistake. when they break your shit. Uh, reeling backwards. Oh my god, people do that. <laughs> people reel backwards. <laughs> you know, I explain to people when they get on the boat. You know, the first thing I tell them is, "Listen, the tarpon's going to jump, right?" So right. I, I kind of, you know, give them the little briefing, and the tarpon's going to jump. Now, when the tarpon jumps, I want you to point the rod at them, right? And I want you to reel the handle forward. Good advice. Is that good advice? It is good advice. People look at me, what do you mean when we read the handle? I want you to reel it forward. And they're like, well, yeah, I'm going to reel it forward. And most people, you know, like, like, like think that's like, you know, kind of like information that they don't need. But as soon as you don't tell somebody to reel the thing forward, they reel it backwards. So when I'm putting a couple of baits out, I'll reel up, you know, as you're positioning them and I'll show them. I'll make a point to show them how I'm reeling the reel to show them that this is how it's got to work. Now, remember, with the conventional, that's a little tougher, um, you know, because you have to show them how to guide the line back onto the reel, and that's kind of high-level stuff. Well, that's why I got the level line on mine. I'm trying to keep it simple. Until someone loses half a finger when they leave it where it's not supposed to be but during a run. But yeah. um, I'll ask my clients when they get on, are you comfortable with these kind of reels? Do you want to use spinning reels? And... Uh, You'd be surprised. A lot of people, especially from the Northeast, they're used to using conventionals. Yeah. And they're right in the game. It's great. 
Uh, but again, you know, with the conventionals, you've got more line to play with. Um, I think you can kind of control the bait a little bit better too. Control the fish a little bit better. All the, all the, you know, again, the, the benefits of the lever drag. It's great if you have clients that can use them. All right, <laughs> let me ask you this: When a client reels backwards on a spinning rod, and he reels backwards enough where the handle detaches from the from sure. the reel, do you still coach them at that point? Um, do you take the rod from them and do it yourself? Do you try to coach them, or do you just like don't say anything and be like, okay, well we're screwed? Well, usually, usually they're waving the handle at me, right? Saying, now what? <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, usually I'm fumbling to try to get the handle in my hand, and they're waving it away from me like it's a magic wand. All right, so you're trying to get the equipment back, so you're going to get it back to square one and then hand it back to them? Right. And usually by that time, if there's a couple of clients on the boat, they usually hand the rod with the handleless spinning reel over to the person next to them <laughs> while they wave the handle at me yelling, now what? And then in the meantime, the fish is going nuts you know, in the back of the boat. And then you're trying to frantically get it in there and hope that all the, none of the washers fell off when they detached it from the reel. So it's happened. No, it happens. It, no, it happens a lot. And, people, you know, like we, I tell the story to people, you know, and people that are experienced in fishing are like, you know, well, how often does this happen? This is like a weekly thing. Right. I mean, we do approximately five trips a week on average, you know, over the course of the year. So I would say about one out of five trips, somebody reels the handle backwards. Maybe one out of 20, 25 trips to somebody actually reel the handle backwards all the way and where the let me ask you this. handle falls off. It also comes as a surprise to you, doesn't it? Because we're not watching the reel right. oftentimes. We're watching the boat. We're watching the fish, making sure we're not hitting a channel marker. We're, we're trying to keep another bait or two in the water. We're trying to do this, that, and the other. The last place I'm looking is, right. to, is to see if they're reeling backwards. So most of the time... It's already been detached by the time I get wind of it. All right. Let me take it a step further. So the client either reels backwards a little and the handle stays on, or he reels backwards a lot when the handle stays off. Now, after that fish, whether you catch them or lose them, my typical, my typical response or my typical phrase that I would say to the client after that is that, so, you know, it's really important that you reel forward. Is that insulting at that point? Not if you caught the fish. <laughs> good, good, good answer. There's so you caught the fish, then that's cool. It's, uh, it, it won't matter what happens after that point. There's so much euphoria. They're so happy that uh, I usually will tell them, hey, you know, it, it wasn't tough enough that that fish was 100 pounds. You wanted to really give yourself more of a handicap. So that's good. You know, and if he loses the fish, it's too much of a low blow to actually go there. Uh, there would usually be that uh, silence that falls over the boat and says, okay, let's, let's give it another try this time. Let's try to keep the reel intact. I think you're a little bit more diplomatic than I. Yeah, maybe. Because the first thing as I say is I look at them right in the face and I go, you know, it's really important that you reel the, the reel going forward. And then I pick up the rod and I show it to them after they made the mistake and after they lost the fish. Now, maybe, maybe I should be more diplomatic about it like you. Well, I found that uh, they take a couple looks and they know damn well <laughs> what they just did. <laughs> and uh, I, I think they just as soon move on. And then if you don't tell them, though, and then they do it again, then what? 
I've also found that uh, the rest of the party is reminding them, hey, Jim, don't reel it that way no more. And uh, they get it. All right, so what happens more? People reel backwards or hold the reel upside down? Oof. I have zero tolerance for holding that reel upside down. That ain't gonna. That dog ain't gonna hunt for long at all. They, they you can, and now you, you know, you can see that one coming, right? You're not usually watching the reel, but you can tell when they're getting ready to do the dipsy do, and they start going lefty on you, and they start turning into a zebco. Uh uh, that ain't gonna fly. I'll, 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 I'll tell them right away. No, no, no. That's that's not how it works. And have you had somebody argue with you about that? No, they're usually again, when a fish is on. You know, you've got street cred at that moment. They, you know, they're, they'll do pretty much what you tell them other than don't reel the wrong way. I've had quite a few clients tell me, I've had quite a few clients over the years tell me that they're more comfortable reeling with the rod upside down or the rod and reel upside down. Well, then you're a better man than me because I could tell them you'd be more comfortable up front. Hand the rod to someone else and you can watch. Well, at that point. I'll take the one conventional that I do have on the boat, and then I'll isolate it for that particular angle. I'll be, all right, if that rod bends over, that one's for you. And anybody else on the boat, you get the other rods. Now you realize that the first thing they'll do is flip that thing over. <laughs> right. But that, see, that's the difference with conventionals, by the way. You can't reel backwards on them. Right. Right. There ain't but one way. <laughs> see, personally, I think that that's how you got like really good at, at using a conventional. I think you were the dude, like, when you were a kid that would reel the handle off the back of the reel. So then you just, like, morphed over to conventional because it was easier for you. I blame the reel makers for that because they build in the reverse. Why in the world do you need the reel to reel in reverse to begin with? That's what gives these people the bad habits. They think the <laughs> thing's going to reel in reverse. All reels should be built with any reverse, just like conventional. All right, which, 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 side, of the, which side do you like to handle on your fly rod? On the right. How come? Because that's how I was taught. See? Now that don't make any good sense. No, I was taught by a really good fly fisherman. All right. I'm the same way. I like my handle on the right side, too, with my fly rod. But that's different than the spin rod. Yeah, but by the time you're playing around fly reels, you're top-notch. You're, you're, you know. That's you're, not true. You're, you're top flight. I mean, if you're even contemplating that, you're beyond... Flipping a reel over, doing any of that Zepco stuff. So you're in the camp that think that, fly, that people that are fly fishing are more elite than people that are using traditional tackle? By far. <laughs> That's bullshit, Timmy. By far. Why? Just because of all the coordination and skill you need to use a fly rod, even at a beginner level. It, no, one, no one drops down from using fly tackle to the stuff we use. I mean, it's always an escalator. You're always working your way up if you want to get better at the sport. You don't think that that's the pinnacle of the sport. You don't think fly fishing is the most accomplished the most accomplished way you can fish that requires the most skill. No. Because? I just don't buy into that. I love fly fishing. I think fly fishing is a sport of its own. I don't think it should even be compared to friggin' plug casting or bait fishing. It's fly fishing. Fly fishing is pretty freaking cool. But I do not think that the fly fisherman is an elite angler than, say, a light tackle fisherman. I do. I think, uh, I think so much more has to come together. Fly fishing, especially when if you're tying your own flies and... The fly fisherman that I know 
they immerse themselves in the sport and they are so meticulous and they are taking into account so many more variables than we do with conventional tackle if you want to call it that um i i just think they're i just think they're really good really accomplished i don't know too many fly fishermen that couldn't pick up any other forms of tackle and and excel right but the reverse is not true would you agree that people using spinning reels for example they can't just pick up a fly reel fly rod and go do well with it if they've never done it before but i think someone who's been fly fishing most of their life can walk up and grab a spinning reel make it happen that's my my theory there's something to be said for that but i think if you took two people especially children never fished before and then you spend an hour with them with a spin rod teach them how to cast a spin rod and you spend an hour with them with a fly rod teach them how to cast a fly rod i think you would have the person that you're teaching to fly fly fish learn quicker than the person using the spin rail and the reason i say that is because it's really about the angler it has nothing to do with the equipment like a spin reel, the guy's got to, you know, he's got to, fl- he's got to flip over the uh, bale, got to hold it with his finger. He's got to expect that that um, whole process between him, um, you know, starting to reel the bale, flipping over, the line going on it, is going to work, you know, in a mechanical manner, which often it doesn't, or it spins up, or there might be a lot of problem. Whereas where a fly reel is so basic and fundamental that if you've never used anything else before, it'd be easier for you to use that and learn. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't taught any young kids how to fly fish, so I'm probably not the right person to ask. But I think there are so many more variables that can affect whether you're successful with a fly reel and a fly rod than with a spinning rod. I think there's more that can affect you. I think you have to be more precise. I think you have to be up on your geometry better, and you just have to be more fluid. I I think fly fishing is a much more accomplished level of fishing than. See, there you go with that elitist thing again. Better believe it. Yeah, see, I'm I'm not buying into that. There's a lot of fly fishermen walking around, like, with their nose up. And, like, they'll roll down to the pier, they'll see all these fools fishing off the pier with their conventionals and their heavy tackle and their friggin' uh, bait and their. You know, bubblers and all that, and they're like walking down the pier, like this is all beneath me. In the meantime, the guy that's you know doing the pier fishing is looking at that guy, like what's he doing on the pier? Well, he's right. What is a fly fisherman doing on the pier? It is a good question, but he doesn't think that he's elite to the fly fisherman. It's because he's not. Well, it's just not the way they think. See, the fly fisherman, I think, are like pompous. You know, got, there's, some, there's something there that when they go into the Orvis or they go into these fly shops and stuff, like, it makes them feel accomplished. Yeah. It's okay. I think that That's fly, our thing. fly fishermen go into Walmart and they see the fishing section and they think, oh, there's a smelly Walmart fisherman. That's what I'm thinking that the fly fishermen are like, are like you know, this is going through their mind. You and I both know fly fishermen are going into Walmart, so that's a hypothetical. <laughs> See, that's my point exactly. 
you guys too busy like hanging out with like each other in um, a fly shop, which is kind of like modern day barber shop at this point. More like a modern day coffee shop. And what's up with the fly shops just disappearing nowadays? You, you can't find a decent fly shop like within like a small radius. And we live right. in we live in South Florida, supposedly the fishing capital of the world. I have I have a theory. I think most of the fly fishermen are tying their own. You know a bunch. I know a bunch. I tried tying my own last year. I didn't enjoy it at all. Like, I didn't feel like I was seeing. I got all the flies and shit. Fairbanks brought me over. I'm I, fifty pounds of stuff, in in a big ass you know um, container. I had all the different material. I had the flies. I had the hooks. I had the friggin' little clippers i had the little pinchers i had the vice i had everything i was all rolled up and i was going to make those small flies so we could go tarpon fishing in the summer and i don't know i made a dozen of them or so and i did not feel like uh i accomplished anything after i made the dozen flies it looked like you had stuff you're going to make a boa like zha zha gabor or something dude i was i was working it i was working it and then i look online i look on ebay and i find these little tiny flies that freaking look way better than the ones that i could tie they were cheap, cheap as balls. I think I, mean, I forget how many I bought, but I think I gave you some. But I was buying them by like 20 at a time. Those were cool little flies. And they crushed the tarpon. Yes, they did. And from that point on, I didn't tie another fly. <laughs> well, I will tell you. Well, let me ask you this. You catch a 100-pound tarpon on a big spinner. Right. Or you catch one on 12-weight fly reel. Mm-hmm. Which is the better accomplishment? For me? Mm-hmm. A 12-way fly Me too. And you can't tell me that that's not elite stuff? That does not make it elite. Sure it does. No, it does not. It does not. That'd be like, all right, so then my guy Jim Hayes comes down from Texas. Everybody loves Jim Hayes. Guy catches more fish than any other client I've ever met in my life. Luckiest dude I've ever been around in my life. The most enjoyable person that I've ever been around of all the people I've ever took fishing. He wouldn't even think about picking up a flat rod. It's like not even in his like, like not, not, even, not even thinking about it. Never mind debating it. Well, to each his own. Good for you, Jim. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm not buying into the elitism. By the way, Jim, I need something at Walmart. Can you go pick that up for me? <laughs> that's wrong. <laughs> See, that's typical fly fishing. Are you listening, Jim? Can you, if you can, if you can slide on in there. I, need, I hope Jim is listening. I need some tall kitchen garbage bags. Because the next time he comes into town, we're gonna freaking go out for beers, and then you can explain it to him. Deal. And Jim's not like, and Jim's not like, not familiar with the fly fishing game. Okay. Just saying. It's not like it's you know, like you'd be speaking over his head or something. Like the dude's hanging out with like different fly fishermen and stuff, but he chooses not to fly fish. Jeff, you see how tall I am. I'm not talking over anybody's head. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> but the point being is, so that everybody knows who's listening, Jeff loves to break my dice about fishing my conventionals. We'll be on the water and he'll yell out, <laughs> how many conventionals? You're conventional and over there. That's right. You're trying to out-convention me. Out-conventionalize me. Now, the... the, the the, the the conventional rod thing, the rod and rail thing, you can you can definitely see who the conventional guys are out there. Like, you know oh, I mean? yeah. From sail fishermen to tarpon fishermen. The snook fishermen are almost all spin guys, but you will get the eventual dude that's got his little bait caster, you know, throwing his rubber friggin' yeah. 
well. thing or whatever. But like when you when you're out there fishing, you see the guys go by, and the guys that are like sail fishing, especially because they sport the piss out of their stuff. Oh yeah. And the guy would go by and have all the badass conventionals, all the badass. And the very next guy will go by all spin tackle. Right. I I don't know how the guys do it with with spinners. I mean, you're changing that line all the time when you're kite fishing. All the time. They're respawning like a bastard. Yeah. Yeah. Good on them. I mean. But you notice that you don't see like too many too many mixed um, arsenals. You'll see one guy with all conventionals. Right. The very next guy, all spinners. That's very true. I mean, there are some dudes that mix them up. So some crews I see mix them up. But for the most part, you're either like a spin guy or a conventional guy. Now, Timmy, obviously being the conventional guy that, is, that he is, I think you're, are you are you pushing that on your clients? I'm not pushing it. I've got both, just like you do. Okay, so you're, you're mixing them up for your clients, but just not for you. We're in a concierge concierge business, Jeff. We cater to our clients, do we not? Yes, we do. And we're not allowed to offend them anymore. Well, you can after you drop them off. Like the old school guy, right? It was normal for him to offend his clients. <sighs> I can't tell you how many times I was on trips and got barked at right? Got it, right? by the captain. Right? Salty dog. Right? Did that bother you? Like, did it discourage yes. you? Did it? Yeah. It discouraged you? Well, no, it bothered me. What, how did it bother you? I don't want... Do you like getting barked at? Well, I don't like getting barked at, but I'm not going to say it bothers me all the time. There's times when getting barked at would bother me. There's times when getting barked at, I think, would be a good situation. But I think a lot of times now there's so much discussion about captains and guides that are too hard on their clients. The clients now buy into that and are seeing um, the side of being the softy is the correct way to do it. And I'm not so sure. Yeah. I think people enjoy being out with uh, a captain who's pretty mellow and isn't going to yell at them. I mean, it's tarpon fishing, right? Fish pop off all the time. Right. I'm not going to sit there and bark at them for pulling the hooks on that fish. It happens. Okay. I've pulled hooks on fish. You've pulled hooks on fish. So why bark at them? Tarpon fishing is probably the exception. I think tarpon fishing is... is you have to be exceptionally patient, exceptionally nice to your clients because you know ahead of time that, you know, they're going to blow it. It's part of the game. But that's an isolated matter. But the dudes that are doing the other types of fishing, like there's a thought that if your captain isn't barking at you or isn't upset when you do something wrong, that he's not in the game with you. That he doesn't really care. He's just along for the ride, and whatever happens, happens. Do you subscribe to that theory? I think it could be correct. I don't. I think uh, I think your captain can be engaged without telling him that he's going to throw him overboard the next time the rod bends over. I mean, it. I don't. I don't. I never saw the sense in in barking or scolding a client. I mean, if hey, if they did it all the time, they wouldn't need us, right? If they were that good enough. You know why be out with us? We're there to help them, help some folks that uh, want to catch fish that don't get out as often. I think that sometimes when you bark at at people or clients, I think it's good for some people. You know, like for instance, when I played football, right? And if my footwork was backwards as a cornerback, and the and the coach took me aside and was like, "Hey, G. Jeff, you know, um, 
you know, your footwork was backwards. You really got to have your left foot back, you know, if you're going to, you know, take a hard right turn, you have to pivot off of it. And he was nice to me like that. Well, the dude already told me like two or three times. Instead, I think I responded better when he was like, hey, Maggio, get your goddamn feet right. <laughs> and made you run suicides. Right. And then I'm like, yeah, yeah, I better get my feet right next time. But I didn't like feel like the coach, which a fishing guide is a coach you know, offended me or that he was too tough on me. It was like a form of communication. Either it works or it don't. You weren't paying that coach to coach either. No. Do you want to pay somebody to bark at you? My parents were paying one way, form, fashion, or the other. Somebody was paying. The coach wasn't working for free. But but what I'm saying is is there's a, there's a, a, I think a lot more people in this day and age that would be offended if a captain barked at him than, say, 20 years ago. You're probably right. That's a learned thing. Uh, I, well, again, I can only speak for myself. I don't, I don't see the benefit of barking and humiliating the you're, client. You're like the softest-spoken person I know, though, Timmy. Let's take the microphone off, Jeff. You hear something else. Come on, Timmy. You and I have been fishing together, call it a decade at least. All right. Never do you raise your voice. Never you cursing at anybody. Nothing. You always kind of sound like you sound right now on the podcast. You're like Mr. Friggin', you know, melatonin. You're just going to kind of like, you know. That just means I'm behaving around you. No, it's just the way you are. Now, me, I can't, you know, I'm not definitely not like that. She's having a lot more dynamic to me. There are many people in this town that would dispute the way you just described me. <laughs> And I'm related to most of them. Right. That's what it takes. It takes, see, that's how, conser- that's how, that's how conserved you are. It's like you can hold it back on everybody else. And the only people that really know are your family members. That's right. Yeah. That's what, that's what you call being able to really hold it back. That's what they signed on for. <laughs> I can do that. They don't have a choice. T- Timmy, um... So to answer your question, I don't, I don't believe that, uh, that you should have to bark it. It's just not my style. But uh, I can tell you on, on trips that I've paid for, I did not particularly enjoy getting. You didn't appreciate it at no. all? No. You never saw the other side? Not even a little bit. So you're the type of guy that when, the, when somebody's voice is raised, you know, gets louder, you like tune them out, shut them off. Trust me. I grew up in a pretty big family. <laughs> I know what it's like to get barked at. Take it from me. I, I've been there. But, uh, hey, you're on the boat. Fish jump off. Pull hooks. Do crazy stuff. You ever see the Mark the Shark videos? Yes, I have. How do, you, how, do you, how do you respond to that? Interesting. Very interesting. He's barking at everybody. He's from the got mate his own style. To the anglers, the guys paying. He's barking at everybody. Yes, he is. And he's belittling them. Yes, he is. And he's the busiest captain in friggin' Miami. And he is mocking them up one side and down the other. For any of you listening, if that's you and Mark the Shark, (laughs) don't be seasick aboard his boat. There's nowhere to hide. (laughs) I'm just saying, Mark the Shark. I don't really know the guy. I don't either. And the only reason I can even talk like this is because he was uh, confident enough to let um, 
his style of captaining out on social media. So I watch him bark at his clients and act like an asshole and stuff. And there's some things that he does that like totally would offend even me. Right. But he is the busiest captain in Miami. More power to him. <laughs> what you saying? He is the busy, busiest captain in Miami. And people don't, want, don't, don't like that. They don't want to accept that. And they want to admit it. But it's true. At the end of the day, the guy catches fish, right? People book him when they, to catch fish. Do you think Mark the Shark pisses Bouncer Smith off? I don't have the first idea. Jeff. Come you, on, you Timmy. Tell me. Come on, Timmy. Do you think, do you think like, like Bouncer's like sitting back going, well, I'm like the real sport fisherman dude. I'm the busiest dude in friggin' government cut as Mark the Shark goes by again. And his two and three trips a day doing it. I would like to think that there's room for both of them to be busy. Room? Sure. You really want to bring that up? Timmy? I don't want to get you where you're going to fence somebody live, or I guess podcasts aren't even live. But They both have their niches. I'll leave it at that. Mark does his thing, and Bouncer does his. And we'll just leave the amount of room part yes. out of it. Good thinking, Timmy. It's your show, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the Real Guy Podcast. That's Tim O'Connor, a three-time Happy Bay champ. Um, thanks for being in here tonight, Timmy. Had a great time. Uh, Jeff, thanks for having me. Let me know when you want me back. Dude, sooner than later, run that dog. You got it.